In Romans 6, it asks, Why do I do what I don't want to do? But there I am doing it. And why don't I get around to doing what I know I should, and I really want to, I just don't do it. This is really the crux of the matter. Faith is the type of belief that forces me to act on what I believe. It's not the acting that makes it true, but all belief leads to action. We know that when we come to God, we must believe that he exists. Okay, so what should we do? We know that he says that it is worth diligently seeking him because then we will find him. In Proverbs, we're told that our primary goal in everything should be to get to know him more. It uses the word acknowledge, but that's what it means. It's the same word as a husband and wife getting to know each other after marriage. Okay, I know that, but do I do it? I remember that one of God's names is El Roy, which means the God who always sees. This is very important and should really make a difference in what I do. In fact, if you go to court and they're trying to decide, are you accountable? They want to know if a policeman was standing right there, would you have done it anyhow? Well, God is standing right there. I know this, but do I always act as if he is, or do I forget that? I'm told that I will certainly appear before the judgment seat of God to receive the appropriate reward for what I did while being a human being. Yes, I don't have to fear because I have Jesus Christ as my defense attorney and he has paid for my sins. Still, I will stand there. And I remember that only what is done for Christ will last at that time. It's possible that everything will burn down to the foundation, and that would be a shame. So I know that only what counts for eternity is worth doing now, but do I live that way? I believe. Do you ever wish that you could do better in life? Well, then here's where you need to start. You start by admitting that without God, you can do nothing. That you're just more foolish than you can imagine. That his wisdom is so far beyond yours. And that you really will get nowhere if you do the best you can, because you can't do anything well that you need others more than you realize. We're always running around trying to minimize our problems, trying to, quote, do the best we can and think that that lets us off the hook. God never intends us to do the best we can. He intends us to reach out to others and do the best that he can as we yield our bodies and our minds and our mouths to him as tools to accomplish his ends. I find that when parents admit that raising children is a task beyond themselves, saying, Lord, I can't, but you can. Now, show me what to do. Then they do well.
Psalms 127 says, It is pointless to defend or build a city if God is not in it. And then it goes on to say, If you remember this, you'll get up at a reasonable time, enjoy what you do, quit when it's time to quit, get a good night's sleep, and then God will let you raise kids. Because I think that's the toughest job of all. It is comforting to know that even when we are open to feedback from God's Word, from the Holy Spirit, from others, we're still liable to mess up some. But the neat thing about it is if we have admitted our limitations, reached out to God and others, and done then what they suggest, and fall short, it doesn't seem to cause damage. Our kids see us struggling against a problem or a pattern, and they decide that they don't want to get into that problem in the first place. And thus, they can grow up to work on other issues because they'll have their own. Another thing we do when we're trying to look not as bad as we actually are is compare with others. <laughs> the Bible says that that is foolishness. In fact, all comparison is foolishness. It says, do not compare yourself with yourself. Now, that's kind of a weird verse when you think of it. But actually, we compare with how we used to do. We compare with how we thought our life was supposed to go. We compare with some strange ideal of perfection that is way beyond any human capability. And we do compare with how we think other people are doing. In fact, one of the most dangerous things in our society is Facebook. Because everybody puts a polished up, whitewashed version of themselves at their very best out on Facebook. And then we compare with that? Our reality never can match up to that. Their reality can't match up to that. And then we get depressed. Or we come out the other side saying, well, I thank God I'm not like these people over here. I thought it was funny when people are in 12-step groups. They say, yeah, we got problems, but we're just alcoholics. At least we don't beat our wives. Well, we might beat our wives, but at least we don't molest children. Well, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's comparing with someone else. The Apostle Paul said this is something that everyone should accept, that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the very worst. That's the attitude we're looking for. Anyone who thinks, well, for sure, the Apostle Paul was definitely the very worst, because after all, he ran around killing Christians. I'm not as bad as he it's like the Pharisee saying, I thank God I'm not like that publican. Remember, the Pharisee did not go home justified. The publican did. I think we are terrified that if we take a full, realistic look at the mess we actually are, at how bad our childhood hurt was, at the scars and the programming that is messed up, of what a mess the world is, that we would discover that it was just all hopeless. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The only thing seeing the mess without minimizing or comparison can do is fill us with a need for God and of awe when we find that God is bigger than that. His grace is bigger than all my sin and his grace is bigger than the mess of the world. So often nowadays, as things struggle in the world, in the news media picks up on every little thing that happens around the world. We think, oh, it's just bigger than God. No, it is not. 
He is in charge now, and he has the last word. When I'm working with people in counseling, and they discover that they are worse than they thought, then they scramble for ways to minimize it, excuse it, blame it, or compare it. I advise them to just accept that it's probably worse than that. But God is bigger than that. Do not forget that where sin abounds, grace even more abounds. When weakness abounds, and I feel like I am the least and the weakest, then I am much more important than those who think they have it all together. Dear Lord, help me to go ahead and see the negative reality, realistically, but never to forget that you are bigger than that, whatever that is. Help me to remember that you can fix it. You can bring good out of it. You have the last word. Praise your holy name. James says, Oh, you say you believe in God? Well, whoop de doo That must be Aramaic, I think. whoop de doo The devils believe in God, and at least they shake in their boots. You don't seem to be doing any shaking. We need to pause and ask ourselves, do we act as if we believe what we say we believe? Now, that doesn't mean we always get it right. If you've got two people in a room and they both believe that there's a bomb about to go off and one runs out of the room, one gets under the desk, they both obviously believe that just one is probably not going to survive the blast. So we need to say, what do we believe and what should we then do? And make sure that our responses are biblical because then they're likely to work. We know that when we come to God, we must believe that he exists and that he is worth our bother searching him out, for he will reward those that diligently search. We are told in Proverbs to make it our primary goal to get to know him more, and then he will direct our paths. Sure, I know that I should, but do I search him out? We remember that one of his names is a God who always sees everything, El Roy. We remember that one of the tests for accountability in a court is, would you have done what you did if a policeman were standing right there? Well, God is, quote, standing right there, end quote, at all times. Do we go ahead and do things we wouldn't if we were actually believing that and remembering that? Sure, I know, but do I always act as if I can see him? I'm told that I will certainly appear before the judgment seat of God to receive the appropriate reward for what I did while being a human being. I know I will have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. I remember that only what is done for Christ will last. Do I live in such a way that everything I do is because he asked me to, done in his power, for his kingdom and his glory? I believe that all have sinned and must come to repentance or spend eternity separated from God. I believe that being a responsible adult is never enough to earn salvation. But do I pray and witness to the perishing around me with the earnestness such knowledge should impart? Peter says, Seeing all material things will vaporize in a blast of unimaginable heat, what type of person should I then be? Yes, I believe that everything will be vaporized, but do I put too much focus on things and the comfort this world affords today? The Hindu religion suggests that people, events, and things around us 
get in the way of seeing the higher truths, and that peace is found in not wanting, not enjoying, not caring. Christ always calls us to a more impossible path. I am to search for him while focusing intensely on the events and things around me. I am to be aware of and delight in the fact that he is always watching. I am to steward and enjoy the material things, but see them as tools to minister to others and to give me support for the journey, and not as an end in themselves. I am to care about relationships intensely and still keep walking when they let me down. I am to look forward with delight to the judgment seat that will be where Jesus will delight in showing the world what he was able to do through my feeble efforts, and he will get the glory. I am to rejoice in being a fellow burden-bearer with Jesus, remembering that he has the other side of the yoke, so his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I am to enjoy and delight in the material things God has allowed me to have, but carry them in an open palm so that if he takes them back, that will be fine too. Lord, teach me to grab the impossible, crazy, higher path to higher ground, which you lead me to walk, the path that forces me to stay yoked to you and remember that you are walking with me and making the impossible happen and the crazy sane. Welcome to a psychiatrist's take on the Bible. This podcast does not provide psychiatric, medical, or professional advice, opinion, treatment, or counseling. It contains general information for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for psychiatric, medical, or professional care. It does offer a unique, so what, take on the Bible of a board-certified psychiatrist who is also an ordained minister. Very often, people are in a relationship a marriage, where the other partner makes no pretense of wanting to walk with God. So how do we live in a situation like that? I have a few suggestions. First, let's start with husbands whose wives do not want to walk with God. And let us go to the scriptures which say, in Hebrews 10.24, And let us consider our wives to provoke unto love and to good works, making time to be together, and exhorting one another. It takes time to think, who is this woman that I'm married to? What does she enjoy? What are her goals? What are her needs? And to make sure you spend time. Romans 15.1 We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. 1 Corinthians 2.6 God's word is wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to nothing. 
I'm afraid that the suggestions I will make in this section are not for everybody. Well, actually they are, but not everybody is able to receive them. I find myself that when I go to the Word of God, if His ideas make sense to me, I want to do them, I'm sure that they will work and turn out the way I want, then I'm probably not paying attention. <laughs> you know, His ways are not my ways. Hebrews 5.14, But strong meat belongs to them that are of a full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern between good and evil. Philippians 3.15, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. I just love that attitude from the Apostle Paul. And I adopt it myself sometimes. It's not my job to convince everybody. But I will tell the truth. Sometimes I tell people, you're in big trouble. And they say, why is that? And I say, well, if I don't tell you the truth, you probably won't figure it out yourself. And only the truth works. Only the truth sets you free. But if I do tell you the truth, you'll probably get mad and walk away. But here goes. I'll try to tell you the truth. It's very easy to complain of how hard it is to be godly when our partner is not doing their part. How can I be godly? Instead of complaining, the Bible exhorts the husband, in this case, to stay in the marriage and live in such a way that God can use your example. First, to sanctify the children and also to influence the wife. 1 Corinthians 7.13 And the husband, which has a wife that believes not, if she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not leave her. For the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean. But now they are holy. From the first sin in the garden, wives have wanted to control their husbands. See, dear, I ate from the tree, and I feel fine. Here, you try some. She didn't realize she was already dying, because dying took quite a while in those days. But she was. It used to be that husbands could just say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But times have changed, and we often find that our partner is not interested in spiritual things. Or maybe they feel they can be just fine spiritually without our leadership. Or that they are the more spiritual, and they should do the leading. But do you have to give up leading your family spiritually, which God asks you to do, even though you can't make your wife change? Can you be the spiritual leader even if she does not want to follow? Well, God calls us to do our part, whether the other person does theirs or not. But that does not mean demanding the role or shoving your leadership on her. You can do things that lead towards and reward her for joining you as you focus on God. You can lead your wife to pray, for example. Pray together with you. First Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, dwell with your wives according to knowledge. Giving honor unto the wife is unto the weaker vessel. Don't you dare call her that. And as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You can deliberately go through life watching for needs that would touch her heart as they naturally arise around you. You can then invite her to take a minute and join you in prayer. For example, Dear, my boss just found out his daughter has cancer. Could we take a minute and pray for her? Even if she just stops and listens with you as you pray, she's still joining in your prayer with you. Then you can say, thank you for supporting me. 
You need to watch for life questions. Ponder them, take them to the Bible and to older Christian men and seek guidance. Then say, for example, Yeah, I ran into the following issue at work. I've been trying to think through what God would have me do. I think he would have me do thus and so. Do you think I am understanding that right? Even if you just say, sounds fine to me, that is enough. You can then go out and apply the insight and say, thank you for letting me bounce ideas off of you. I tried it, and it went really well. You need to admit to yourself and your wife, I want to grow into a better person. And I have identified the following areas that I need to work on. One, two, three, four, five. I know that I'm blind to my faults and will miss obvious problems. In addition to these areas that I've identified, is there some other area you would like me to work on? I'm already doing the following things to help me grow. And every Monday after supper, would you take a few minutes and tell me how I am doing? Here's a notebook for you to write in during the week, and if you see some examples of where I've been doing better, I'd appreciate the encouragement. Or, if I'm not doing better, if you would take the risk to share that with me. She'll probably say something like, oh, you're fine. Do not walk away satisfied with that. Say instead, I realize that I've not been open to your feedback in the past. I've even done things to make you uncomfortable when you cared enough to give me feedback. I appreciate you being nice and telling me I'm fine, but God is convicting my need to grow, and I promise, with his help, to listen and benefit from your feedback. If you would forgive me and take the risk to help me grow, I would be so grateful. If she then has the guts to try something little, anything at all, thank her. And make sure you've understood. Are you seeing the following area I can work on? And you do not get to explain or defend. Please go to my blogs and see the one on making excuses. The next week, after you've worked on things that she's pointed out, uh, you tell her how much you appreciate her supporting your desire to grow. Do not point out that she could do some growing, too. Leave that to Holy Spirit, who is free to work on her in the same areas you are letting the Spirit work on you. Keep your own notebook of any little efforts she is making that are positive and point out your appreciation. God is not into 50% you change if she changes her 50%. No, he is into 100% you change even if she does not. This is because he sees you changing as 100% a blessing for you. He's not seeing he's asking you to do nasty, unfair things. The 50-50 garbage comes from seeing godly growth as hard and boring and painful rather than glorious. Of course, you might say to yourself, this is just too much work, and she is doing almost nothing. It's not fair. True, true, true. God is not fair. He pours out heaps of unfair mercy. And gives us heaps of unfair grace and heaps of unfair security. He paid the debt he didn't owe. How unfair. You owed the debt you could not pay, and it was unfairly paid. So anything God asks is fair, fair, fair. Also, her almost doing nothing is a whole lot better than actually doing nothing. So appreciate the little efforts. 
If she risks pointing out something, it will probably be something small and unimportant. But if you accept it and grow from it, she will slowly become God's best tool in fashioning you into the likeness of Christ. When she is encouraged and rewarded to start with little steps, it leads to more and more. Soon, she'll be thinking that getting saved and supporting you in your spiritual journey might be a good thing after all. Even if she does not change, you'll find yourself becoming more and more like Christ. I'm going to talk here to wives. Of course, I'm not a wife, so I'll just share some thoughts from the Word of God and my life experience helping wives. So, cut me some slack if I don't get it exactly right. I need to point out that God's ways are not our ways. Neither are His thoughts our thoughts. So, if I don't tell you what God says, whatever I say wouldn't be right and wouldn't work. If I do... It'll probably really tick you off, and you'll think, that's crazy. Unfortunately, that's the way faith is. When we understand what God is asking us to do, it usually does seem kind of crazy. I know that's true in my case. But let's look at the Word of God. What does it say a wife should do if she finds herself in a marriage where the husband is not leading spiritually the way he's supposed to, in my opinion, and God's? How does she proceed? Hebrews 10.24 says, And let us consider our husband to provoke unto love and to good works, making sure we spend time together in exhorting one another. Romans 15.1 says, We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. The saved partner is always the one who is strong because we are tapped into the strength of God. Our fellow partner is not. 1 Corinthians <coughs> excuse me, 2.6 God's word is wisdom among them that are perfect. Yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world, that come to nothing. God's ways may not seem wise, but they are, and they always come to something. Hebrews 5.14 Strong meat belongs to them that are full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So some of these ideas seem a little bit beyond what you think is reasonable, take a deep breath and ask God to help you move up to the strong meat because there's a lot more strength available from steak than from mashed potatoes. Philippians 3.15 Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. <laughs> I love that verse. You know, it's not my job to convince anybody of anything. It is my job to present the truth the best I can. And then it's God's job to help you understand. It's very easy for us to complain of how hard it is to be godly when our partner's not doing their part, and you're right. But you know Christians should never use the word hard or difficult or tough. They should use the word impossible, for without him we can do nothing, and we can do all things with him, especially carrying out his commands. The Bible exhorts the wife to stay in a marriage and live in such a way that God can use her example, first to sanctify the, sanctify the children and then influence the husband. 1 Corinthians seven thirteen, And the woman which hath a husband that believes not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. 
Men from the very first sin in the garden either say, Sure, dear, I'll eat the fruit. Or, You don't tell me what to do. I will tell you what to do. And nothing has changed since then. It's just not natural for men to exhibit calm spiritual leadership. No, they're terrified to take their proper role. And they need some help. Help beyond themselves to see what that even looks like and to grab a hold of it. But does the wife have to just accept the fact that her husband will not naturally be a spiritual leader? Well, God calls us to do our part, whether the other part person does their part or not. However, she can do some things that lead and reward him to take his God-given role and make it more likely. She can increase the chance of his taking his role and even maybe the chance of him deciding to get saved. She can lead him to pray more by first watching for needs as they naturally arise around her. She can then invite him to take a minute and join her in prayer. For example, something happens at work and you come home and say, Dear, a co-worker's daughter has cancer. Could we take a minute and pray for them? Even if she has to do the actual praying, he's still joining her in prayer together. And she can say, Thank you for supporting me in prayer. When a man is thanked for doing almost nothing, his brain will perk up and say to himself, Hmm, maybe I should invest more time, energy into that area. She needs to watch for little questions and take them to the Bible and older Christian women and seek guidance. She then, having done most of the work, can go to her husband and say, for example, I ran into the following issue at work, and I've been trying to think through what God would have me do. I think that he would have me blah, blah, blah. Do you think that I am understanding this right? Even if he just says, sounds okay to me, that's enough. She can then go out and apply the guidance, return to him and say, thanks for your advice, I tried it and it went really well. She needs to admit to herself and her husband, you know, I want to grow into a better person and I have identified the following areas that I need to work on, one, two, three, four, five. I'm doing the following to help me grow. Every Monday after supper, would you take a few minutes and tell me how I'm doing? Why, here's a notebook for you to write in during the week. If you see some examples of where I'm doing better, I would love to have the encouragement. And please share with me if I'm not. See, I know I'm blind to my faults. Besides, the areas I have identified, are there some other areas that you'd like me to work on? If he says, oh, you're okay, do not walk away satisfied. But say instead, I thank you for your being positive. On the other hand, I realize I have not been open to your feedback in the past. I have even done things to make you uncomfortable when you care enough to give me feedback. I'm pointing out your faults or I've just gotten quiet and withdrawn. God is convicting me of my need to grow and I promise with his help to listen and benefit from your feedback. I am already doing the following things and getting the following accountability from my friends. If you would forgive me and take the risk to help me grow, I would be so grateful. <laughs> if he has the guts to suggest something, anything, thank him and clarify. Are you seeing the following area I can work on? Then work on it. And the next week, point out what you have done 
and how you appreciate him supporting your desire to grow. Do not point out that he could do some growing, too. You leave that to the Holy Spirit, who is free to work on your husband in the same areas you are letting the Spirit work on you. Instead, keep your notebook of any little efforts your husband is making and point out your appreciation. If he risks pointing out something, it will probably be something small and unimportant, but if you accept it and grow from it, he will slowly become God's best tool in fashioning you into the likeness of Christ. Of course, you might say this is just too much work. He's doing almost nothing. It's not fair. True, God is not fair. (laughs) He pours out heaps of unfair mercy, heaps of unfair grace, heaps of unfair security and support. He paid the debt. He didn't owe. How unfair. You owed the debt you couldn't pay. And he took it on himself. So anything he asks is fair. Also, if your husband is doing almost nothing, that's still better than nothing. Starting with a little leads to more and more. Soon the husband will be thinking that getting saved and being a spiritual leader might not be such a bad thing after all. So many men fear that getting saved would require them to submit to the wife who is more spiritual. Now they just have to submit to God himself, which is a little easier for a man to do, and they can see how submitting to God would give them the backup they need to fill this new role their wife is easing them into.